welcome back to the Ultimate Playlist Podcast for the Choice Tracks. I'm Dietrich. I'm Damon. I'm Michael. And I'm Taj. Yes, you are. <laughs> hey, well, <laughs> folks, welcome back to Choice Tracks. Uh, this is a playlist podcast that we like to talk about music. Um, we, in our normal format, in case you haven't listened or this is your first time listening, uh, what we do is we uh, have two sides, just like a record. Side A is where we have a theme and we talk about songs that we associate with that theme from our own personal experience. And then side B, we flip the record over and we talk about homework where somebody gave us an album to listen to. And we go through and pick off choice tracks that we like from that album. Or if we didn't like that album at all, we just let everybody know that so they can make up their own line of what they want to do. But before we get off into the spin of things, we have a special guest. We have a owner, co-host, blogger, uh, actual, uh, you know, all around just a great guy. Um, we have a person by the name of Michael who owns uh, Smells Like Infinite Sadness. It's a podcast and blog that he actually does on a regular basis and he interviews a whole bunch of folks and um, actually I'm very, very excited to have him to the podcast. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I've, this is actually the first time I've ever guested on a podcast before, so this should be, this should be a, oh, no kidding. a cool experience. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I'm very honored to have you here, Michael. So hey, good news. We, we have a, yes. Yeah. Good news. Like we haven't lost a host yet. So, it, we, you know, everybody survived the experience so far. Very good. Well, <laughs> I plan on surviving till the end. So cool. just to let you know that we don't pay for your therapy sessions afterwards. That's All right. Not within the contract, so. I'm already I, I, have, I have good insurance, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah. This thing is going to be like a jigsaw movie. What's that, Dietrich? I'll say, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast and blog? Yeah, I started the blog back in 2012, and uh, I just was talking to friends about music and just kind of going off on tangents. And a friend of mine was like, you really should just do a podcast or like a video podcast or something like that. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know. And then I kind of dove into it and, uh, you know, just started blogging and learning WordPress and all that kind of stuff. And and then my friend's like, he was like, he's like, yeah, it's like your blog's great. But I told you to really to do a podcast because when people hear you talk the way you think and stuff. So then I started the podcast in 2018. And, uh, yeah, I just try to cover mainly I'm covering a lot of alternative rock and uh, from like the 80s and 90s, some metal and then I also throw in some movie and TV stuff here and there, some comic book stuff. But primarily, it's alternative and metal from the 80s and 90s or modern bands that that fit, that kind of carry that same spirit. Just the genre of music that I grew up loving and, and still, you know, like the champion. And uh, also like to be grumpy occasionally about modern music. So it kind of gives me a little chance to vent here and there, too. So I got gotcha. you. Cool. Yeah, so that modern music isn't for everybody. Uh, yeah, like uh, I think Brandon Brandon was on our podcast before. Um, his favorite genre or era is probably like the '70s and before. So and I think I'm more of a '90s kind of like pop rock and some metal, um, and maybe the Seattle scene a little bit, mm-hmm. and then like the 2000s, like up to 2010, I think is my favorite era. A lot of good stuff. We talked about that recently on a few episodes ago. Um, that was kind of like a theme, like the 2010s. Um, 
I think 2012, 2012. Yeah. yeah. Just like, so we were talking about how so many good bands came out in 2012 and it was like, just crazy to see how fast it stopped again. <laughs> I mean, we still get good music now, but like, I think touring and, you know, like just, I, I like a lot of live music, you know, that Michael, and oh, yeah, got some too. shows together. Yeah. Uh, especially South by Southwest being in Austin. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think 2012, you know, 2013, even that was, that was just a great time. 2010 to 2013, a lot of new, newer bands and just big albums that came out. So I'm waiting for the next rush of good music. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> was, and, you know, and also, also I kind of like to just celebrate music because I feel like nowadays, like even though there's still some good music out there, you, you have to hunt for it more, but it's like, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't have the same specialness it used to have. Because used to you, you buy a CD or yeah. a vinyl. I mean, you come home and you read the lyrics and you get all into it. But now we have so many competing things. You got video games. You got streaming. You got whatever else is on the internet. It's really hard to, to set aside time just to listen to music, which is what's cool about this podcast. Is you guys are focusing on actually listening to stuff and checking stuff out because it's 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 a commitment. And it's like in the old days when you're in college or whatever, in high school, it was like you had all the time in the world to listen to music. But now it's like, you know, we're busy. We got shit to do. So or you know, the, they had to bleed me out there. No, you can no, say right. shit, fuck, whatever. Right. Yeah. Shit, fuck, but, all, all that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it just, it just, you just don't, it doesn't have the same special place that it used to, I think, in, in pop culture. So that's, that's the one thing I always kind of lament is, is just when it, had more of a significance i think to people it, it's still it's yeah. still out there and people still get into music but i don't think it's quite as much of an obsession for people as it used to be yeah i encourage people to go to record stores get a record you know if you want to hear vinyl or something like something like that's you know it's like i think it's, it's a, it just has a raw sound and it's also the experience of going to the store and then like picking through albums and then you might you might learn something <laughs> so yeah, it's a little easier with digital today, for sure. Yeah, yeah. speaking of learning something, I learned something new today. <laughs> I learned that there are people, artists who make songs and then hate the songs that they make. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the craziest stuff ever, which just so happens to be our topic. So, uh, hey, Todd, well, uh-huh. go ahead and drop the needle on side A. Cool. So, um, just like I was talking about before, uh, the, this particular topic that I'm bringing up this go around is going to be artists who have created songs that they either hate performing or just downright don't like the song whatsoever. Um, maybe it could have been caught them at an awkward time when, you know, they were just fooling around. I know there's a bunch of artists that wrote songs. They were drunk. And then once they come up, wake up the next day, they're like, oh, that's horrible. But then somebody else listens to it and they're like, no, 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 we're going to leave it just like that. And they throw it out and it's to the masses. But it could have been somebody's low point. It could have been something that they were just playing with that they didn't think was going to be any kind of jingle or any kind of anything. And it just took off like wildfire. And so now because of the distinction that the artist has for it or, you know, just disdain for that particular song for whatever reason. Um, in comparison to other songs, they just don't want to perform it at all, right? So when it comes down to choices, um, this one was kind of easy for me because this is literally the first choice to came to my mind because I remember listening to a couple of uh, interviews from back in the days. Um, this particular band came out, and this was like one of their biggest hits that, that came out at the time. And it literally was one that was not supposed to be a hit, but um, for whatever reason, it became out to be. So 
the title of the artist are the pretenders and the title of the song is uh brass in pocket we got brass in pocket we got i'm gonna use it all right so those who are familiar with that particular song of low um you know this this was this was a nice little rock jam um you know you've got the lead singer, uh, Chrissy Hine, or Hindi, Hindi uh, however you pronounce the last name, I apologize. I'm bad with names. I'm horrible with names. Everybody just calls me Derek. I, my name is Dietrich, but they call me Derek. So just call me D. That way you can't mess up the letter. But when it comes down to particular artists, um, this story I remember very quite well because uh, I was listening to this particular song like in the 80s when you see the, the video and the whole and this band put out this particular song from England. Uh, originally, she's from Akron, Ohio, but she moved out to England in 73, or 70, and wound up, 73 wound up uh, uh, joining this actual band and then they were touring and doing songs ever since. And this particular song was written just as a tongue in cheek type of feel. Um, really and truly, it was made in the from the version of a man that's actually trying to get at the girl and, and trying to make himself look special in the process so she could choose him. Um, but she wrote it from that point of view, but everybody thought it was the female's point of view. And Brass in Pocket at the time uh, was slang for money in pocket. Uh, it was back to the time when coins actually meant something. Like if you had, you know, a gold piece or if you had a, a silver dollar, something of that nature, you know, that coin actually had money. So that's that's the term. Everybody thought like it was talking about brass knuckles or some other kind of mess. And <laughs> no, they're talking about money. Um, that was just their slang back there in England. So um, she recorded the song, uh, came out. Uh, they the seventy four. Um, they actually didn't want to release it. Um, well, let me take that back. She didn't want to release it. Uh, Chrissy had a, a fit um, with their manager at the time. He knew that the song was going to pop off. She knew that the song was going to pop off, but she did not like the direction that the song was going. She thought it didn't represent the band. And then on top of that, um, she said that was just, you know, her little tongue in cheek type situation. It was supposed to be kept in house. It's just a regular recording. Well, come to find out. Yeah, it blew up like wildfire. Uh, it got to number one in the UK for two weeks. It was number 14 on all American charts, uh, for a couple of weeks after that. And, it got to the point where she literally said it was going to be over her dead body if they put it on the playlist. And sure enough, she got talked into putting it on the playlist and had to play songs out on stage uh, whenever they did their travels. And she just loathed the song for whatever reason in her mind. It wasn't a representation of her writing. She didn't like it. She thought it was just you know a little playful thing and it came out to be a whole other smorgasbord. So what do y'all think about Pretenders? Brass in Pocket. Well, I mean, that was one of their biggest hits. And uh, I remember seeing the video on MTV all the time when it when it came out. And um, I think I think a lot of bands have this thing where like if a song comes out too quickly and too easy and then it gets famous, it's almost like there's something suspicious about it. It's like they feel like if they don't work harder on it or or sweat more out of it, um, I I say to someone who used to be in a band and, and we never had any hits by any means, but, but I, 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 there is something, you know, there is something about playing a song over and over and over again, where you just get kind of sick of hearing it. 
So I could see I could see that maybe if she just was like, why do, do they like this song and those other songs? And I, and so much of the other stuff was so much more uh, kind of upbeat mm-hmm. and more energetic. And this is very much like it's almost like R&B, R&B kind of. It's like very like laid back, um, kind of soulful. Um, it's pretty unique. It's a pretty unique song. I mean, n- nobody, they never put out another song quite like that. I can't think of many songs from that style of, you know, like the whole new wave post-punk thing that really kind of sounded like that really so uh, i think it's i think it's a good song i think the lyrics are are good i never really thought of it before as being lyrics from the from the perspective of a a man but uh, um i think i think it's one of those things too where it's like once you release a song it's everybody's song and they can put whatever they want into it they can say it's it's the man's view the woman's view or whatever maybe it's alternating between the two of them so i think um but I, um, yeah, I've always liked that song. It's too so, bad she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's interesting because when you when you said it's supposed to be from the man's point of view, like they do a lot of work, especially in that music video, and especially since it's her singing it, it seems like it's more from the female's point of view because, like, the music video purposely shows her picking up change off of the table and putting it in her apron. Right. She's putting the brass in her pocket and you're like, yeah, so I can totally see like, no, I, I did not mean this song to be about me trying to get a dude. This is about a dude trying to pick up somebody else. Right. But the song very much like even because I've heard it before, like I always thought it was like about a girl trying to get a guy, like trying to get a guy to notice her. Right. And so it, it would make sense if she meant it to be the opposite but nobody's seeing it it's just like are you all blind it's like what are you talking about like it's red like it's not red are you sure like we painted it red it looks red it's like it's like if if you if you if you you look back and you hear the song and you can and but it's it's just that weird thing where it just it has a life of its own and it doesn't necessarily make logical sense but it makes musical sense somehow that 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 it that I guess, you know, I never even thought of it being from anybody else's perspective except for hers. But now that I think about it, I'll never hear it the same way again. Exactly. And next time I hear it, I'll definitely will, will try to pick, think of it from another perspective. Yeah, no, for sure. But, but yeah, it, I like the song. It's a good, good song. But yeah. Cool, cool. Dan, what you think, man? Yeah, I think the Pretenders are one of the, one of the greatest bands of their time. Um, and I, I think that's, yeah, that's that's funny that uh, a it's kind of like a misunderstood song. Um, it is like, yeah, it's about relationships, but also the relationship of people is like like men and women and how I guess they interact. That's that's what I get from it because she's like talking about what it takes to to get noticed, <laughs> and then it like you know goes back and forth with you know just a situation that. It, I guess it might might not be what she wanted, but um, I would have yeah. never thought that she kept, that she wouldn't like this song. <laughs> That's like, but that happens a lot of these bands. Bands, there's it's like a mystery to me with some bands why they like Radiohead doesn't play Creep at all, and I just know that because I've seen them twice. And Robin and Robin, my wife and I were talking about that, and she was like, "Yeah, they, don't, they just don't play it." <laughs> And I haven't looked into why, but I mean, that's 
it's they just, usually a hit, you know? So. Yeah, they just get tired of it, or they feel like, I think in Radiohead's the case, they probably think that that song doesn't really typify what they became, even though for me, their first yeah. album's my favorite. Uh, I'm very unpopular opinion that I have here, because everybody else is like, no, not, I mean, OK Computer is definitely like the iconic one, but I still like that first album a whole lot. Kind of off topic, but yeah. No, nah, you're, you're good. There's no off topic. We're all good here. Um, I, I would say this This reminds me of was that movie, uh, That Thing You Do. I almost wanted to name this podcast that <laughs> um, <laughs> because of the uh, episode of it, because that's exactly what happens. You get a song that was originally a ballad. You, know, you got a drummer that wasn't paying attention, literally sped the song up. The song became you know, their traveling grace, so to speak. Um, and the lead singer literally loathed that song the way that it was being played. And he wanted to play out other music and, you know, nothing ever transpired of his other music. But, you know, it was just kind that that kind of kind of rolled the wave, so to speak. And this this was one of those songs. It was just like, why? Why would this song? Why? Well, it was because it was it was smooth. It was groovy. It was something that wasn't out at the time. And everybody else in the world loved it except for the person that wrote. <laughs> did, they, did they have rights to their music? Did you did you mention that if they had the rights to their all their music, or was it like a label controlling them? Uh, it wasn't the label necessarily controlling them. Um, they had rights at the time in order to put out. Um, just the other bandmates loved the song. The the actual uh, uh, manager of the group at the time loved the song when it came out and. She was the only one that's just like, no, there's no way we're not putting this out. It's just, I was just playing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and mosey on over. And uh, who am I going to pick? Any, 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 Taj. <laughs> go ahead and hit us with your pick, man. What's what you bring here for us today? Uh, oh, uh, so... It, I, I'll admit, like, I didn't have enough knowledge base to, like, instantly have a song come to mind. Um, I did think about doing Wonderwall, but we've already done Wonderwall on this podcast because I just completed his extensive database of all our songs. It's like, oh, we already did that song. Uh, so I went through some various lists and then I was just trying to try to figure it out. And so I picked a song that I know. I picked a song that I like uh, by by an artist I like, uh, kind of went newer. The artist isn't very specific why she doesn't like the song other than she doesn't like it, but she likes herself and the music video. But she's also about that, like about some of her other songs. So I picked uh, Nicki Minaj, uh, Starships. And so uh, Nicki Minaj um, is a Trinidadian American from Trinidad, right? Trinidad. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, but, yeah. So uh, she's, you know, uh, she's kind of like, what would you say? She's kind of like Cardi B. I mean, like she, she puts herself out there. Like she is the brand, you know? <laughs> It, and the, the song is the, the, the product, but like she's selling it, you know, with with various things. But yeah, uh, but Starships is like it's a good poppy song, but it's also kind of one of those Swedish songs where you're like the lyrics make no sense, but it's still an earworm that gets in your head. And you're like, it's a catchy song, 
the music video is super interesting because it's like in Hawaii and like she gets dropped off in the ocean and comes out of the ocean onto the beach and then like it ends up at a rave party. But like it's yeah, I can kind of see, especially with I think and that may be wrong because she hasn't been super specific why she doesn't like the song. But like, I think it's not artistry, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like sex sells the song and then the song's a good like pop earworm. But it's like, it's not her being an artist like she is later on in some of her other songs. But like, she, she knows her brand. And, but yeah, she does not like the song. So, yeah. Yeah, that was that Pink Friday album. <laughs> you know, loaded about six times. <laughs> um, but yeah, so from everything that I know about Nicki Minaj, and uh, trust me, I studied a lot of Nicki Minaj. Um, being a DJ, I played her songs in the constant rotation um, in any kind of club and, and house party type situation, even at weddings. Um, so to speak, when requested. But uh, this particular song for her took away from her artistry, like you were saying. She was known as a rapper. She was known as a female rapper and one that was very prideful on writing her own bars. And so when she put out this particular song, knowing that it was pop, um, she knew that, you know, it would get some kind of kind of buzz to it. But this really set her fans apart from everybody else in the world because they big this thing up like it was the best thing since sliced bread. And they literally played it all over the place. And if you heard it, you heard it 30 times within the day, you would throw <laughs> up. And, like that's, that's how much it got shoved down your throat. And it's, it's one of those that she thought kind of like derailed her career, not in the sense of, of pulling back her career, but in the sense of making her more of a pop artist than a hip hop artist. Mm. And that was something that she took very light, uh, like took very heavy. Um, because she doesn't want anybody to say that she's not a multifactional artist, but she wants to be known as a hip hop artist first. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's part of the reason why she didn't want to put that out at the time. And then the other part is uh, it was just one of those songs that was infectious and, and everybody wanted to play it. And she wanted to actually rap and there's not hardly any rap on there. Right. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those she wish she could take back. But Hey, it got her a lot of money. It definitely got her a lot of uh, praise from her fans. It pushed her over into the pop market, which she wasn't there at the point in time. So, you know, she can't really take away the history of that song. If she had to do it over again, she probably wouldn't do the song. But at the same time, who would say she would be in the same position as she is now? Right. It looks to me, unless this isn't correct, that someone, you may have mentioned it already, but someone tried to sue her over the song and said she later wish we were ever releasing it. So I wonder if, if part of her disliking it is the fact that it got her into legal issues. Um, somebody named Clive Tanaka said oh, okay. that it infringed on his own composition song called new Chicago. But the lawsuit was dismissed. And then she said she later voiced regret of releasing the song. So I'm wondering if that's related or not. You know what? I actually heard, I remember that situation that was going on with that. It might have been her first lawsuit. <laughs> but I also, whenever I see anybody, you know, suing somebody over artist infringement, right? The first thought that goes to my mind is, okay, is this actually 
a copy or a version of your song, or is this just a song that just has unique, you know, similarities when it comes to the actual tone and and and, and everything that stands with the song, right? And then you go into the actual uh, logistics of situations, right? So there's no music that's new under the sun. Somebody has done it in some way, shape, form, or fashion. It's just a matter of if they put it out or not. Or even um, if you came across that individual and you happen to hear a sample or you hear like them playing some music for you and you decide to take that and run with it. Like that in itself could be like messing with your mental because, you know, you stole that from somebody else. You actually know that that credit is owed to that person but because you got so much banking on this, you don't want to give that up. So to speak, right? So that's that's one of the things that also comes into my mind because, like, there's so many different artists that got sued over copyright infringement, and some of them have definitely gotten their bank work out of it. Some of them not so much. Um, but it's always funny to see when you got big major artists like that. Like, who did you actually get this inspiration for the song from? You know, you didn't pull it out, wrap it out your ass. Like, you have to have <laughs> a reference track or somebody had to have something for you in order for you to put this out. When you get to that bigger point, because then you got the conglomerate working for you, right? Right. You the NRs that are searching for you. You've got um, your different publicists that are around trying to tell you what to say, how to say. You've got um, different producers that you're working with that got pre-scratched songs that somebody else wrote or song that they give it to you. And now it becomes the number one hit when in actuality somebody else got the credit for it. It's like if you look at it, what it is now, you'll have somebody recording a song and you'll have 18 different writers. They get credit for being on that song. And it's like, damn, did this person actually write it or did they even come up with a little piece of it? Like, how does that actually work? But that's just the, the belly of the beast, right? That's, that's how that, that machine rolls when you're talking about music. So, um, all these things are kind of funny when, when you bring that up, but good point, Michael, <laughs> bringing that up about the lawsuit because yeah, that thing, I think that was her actual first lawsuit in dealing with, with courts and, and everything of that nature. So what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's definitely not my kind of song. I can see why she hated it and wants to get rid of it. Uh, it's not, it's more, it's something that I maybe anticipated you picking, Tosh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think overall it's like, it's a good club song. Um, I could see people trying to replicate it. And she's... Cardi B uh, has done stuff with Nicki Minaj and other artists, and you know she's definitely had some collaborations and all that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Her style, like most of her, they hate each other. <laughs> they hate each other. Yeah, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. They don't like each other for nothing. Oh, really? Oh, I thought they did some stuff together, but yeah, they did. It was, it was, it was a, it was a song called Motorsport. And um, okay. yeah, that's 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 how everything kind of came to a clash. And ever since then, they have not liked each other enough. So, yeah, props to any artist that can make it in this world. I'm sure Wait. they go through hell, you know. But. So that's interesting that you mentioned that because another thing I figured out while digging was because uh, I was curious. Uh, so in Call of Duty, there's you can play a Snoop Dogg or Savage 21 or 21 Savage, but Car- uh, Nicki Minaj is on there. Supposedly Cardi B oh, really? was supposed to be a character skin, but she couldn't 
do it because she got in legal problems. But that would be that makes sense why it would be Cardi B opposite Nicki Minaj. <laughs> and they really don't get along. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that would be so messed up to see a whole team of Nicki Minaj's and another whole team of Cardi B. <laughs> And you're the only like normal character in the game. You're like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm the fuck out of here. And everybody else is wearing lip liner and, and, and highlighted here. Like, I'd be so pissed. I would, I would exit out of that game at that point. What kind of Call of Duty Nicki Minaj character is it? Does she high heels? And, like, no, uh, no, lean pink, and shit. No, pink skin. Her, you know, kind of pink skin tight. Yeah. So. Okay. Long hair, it, not the claws though. I don't think she has claws, but yeah, yeah probably pass on being that character too. But uh, I pass on the song, and I, I'm just saying yeah, it's not it's not bad covering the six on that one. But yeah, <laughs> I can see why she. It makes sense why she wouldn't like the song for the legal issue. Yeah, so, you get too big, and then you got to deal with that stuff. So yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, it was cool. All right. So, that's off list. Michael, here's what you best shot, man. What you got? Yeah, I picked a song that I truly loathe. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to know that the person who wrote the song actually hates the song they wrote too. And that is Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. which is out from 1989, I believe, which was basically him over an incessant repeating melody, just kind of barfing up every major event that happened during his childhood in, in like the 50s and 60s. And, uh, and I remember that song was everywhere on radio, the video. And it's one of those songs that really like is annoying because it's like it's not that great of a song but it's that melody just it gets stuck in your head so you walk around all day with this stupid song in your head and it just makes you angry at least it made me angry i'm like i can't stop i just i just i can't i can't take it it's incessant but that's because billy joel has a you know he knows how to write melodic hooks and that's like you know even his worst song is still very very catchy but even by his standards, when he wrote this song, he was trying to, from what I understand, he was talking to a friend and they were trying to talk about how things were so screwed up during the 80s. And he was like, well, things have always been screwed up. So he wanted to write a song that kind of was a snapshot of like what he grew up with to kind of show the younger generation that things have always been crazy. Things will always be crazy. It'll always be kind of upheaval. But uh, later on, he described it as the worst melody he ever wrote and it had, he said it, it was about as charming as a dentist drill. It said that it was, it was, it was, it was that annoying. And uh, he basically called it trash and said, you know, uh, he, yeah, he said it's one of the worst melodies I ever wrote, liking it to a dentist drill. When you take the melody by itself, it's terrible. And I agree. <laughs> I think he's onto something, but hey, it became a huge hit and made him a lot of money. So. What do I know? Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, that I, I didn't know he hated it that much. I heard, I remember we were listening to interviews with him, and we saw him at uh, F1 because he did like the you know the race here um, in Austin. Uh, he was performing, I think, 
one night and then it was like 21 pilots the other night but i thought it was great to see him live and i know you're not saying that you don't like him as an artist just this song in particular it almost doesn't sound like a billy joel song you know yeah it, it it's very like cheesy 80s pop i mean it, it fits into that that uh very sleek kind of sh- sugary sweet thing that was going around in the late 80s on on pop radio for sure like something that my you know robin would like my wife <laughs> she <laughs> she loves this song uh yeah so i guess it, it, it hits it's a hit with some people and then he hates it himself <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and you do too i can't say i hate it i think it's okay but it's not yeah i i know what you mean like sometimes you hear something over and over again you're like just, just get rid of this but uh I'm neutral with this one. So, so I'm going to, I mean, it, I've heard the song before. Um, I've sung it karaoke before. <laughs> uh, so, it, yeah, th- that kind of puts me where it, I like the song. What I will say is interesting is the, the cadence of it when he goes, um, it, cause it, it throws you off the first time you try and sing it. Like you, try and do it kind of all in one breath, but you can't, and it's too long to do it in one breath. So you kind of have to learn how to take a breath, like after the first or second stanza, because there's no way you're going to do all the stanzas in one breath, especially once he gets going. And that's one of the crazy kind of interesting things about it that that I like. The other thing is I'm kind of a little bit of a history buff. So like, I, I like stuff that cover history, um, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to mention the new 21 Pilots one, so I'll go ahead and mention it. I've listened to that a couple times, and I don't care for it because it's not in chronological order. <laughs> so I'm I'm just going to say that, like at least with with Billy Joel's, like it, you know, even for as it if it is annoying, at least it teaches you something about what events happened in chronological order. You know, <laughs> so I, I'm sure every history teacher likes it for that. But yeah, so. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that uh, so they they actually covered the song. It they so yeah they have a new version of the song, but it's with it carries on from where the era of, of where Billy Joel ends and goes to current. But like ah. there's stuff really out of sync because like they like in the first segment where they're covering stuff, they talk about the Oklahoma City bombing, but then like second stanza or second group later, like they talk about Columbine and you're like, what those are like, this should be closer together. I play, I played Chrononauts enough to know, you know, the timeline isn't right. So yeah. So. I've heard the 21 pilots one. Yeah. And, and may, maybe, maybe the fact that he had to, he had to take a breath in that delivery. Maybe that's one reason he hates the song too. Maybe it just tires him out. Maybe yeah. it's just too, too, too much, too much lyric spitting. Maybe, <laughs> right. maybe it's, he gets on his nerves. Peter Gabriel, because he would have killed it. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I don't know. I think this is like a bare naked ladies song or something. Like, don't they have one where it's like the chicken, the Chinese Chinese chicken? Uh, yeah, they keep going, yeah. bone stars sticking. Like, it's just like that's kind of like that. We did it. We did an episode that was like a rap by a non-rapper, mm-hmm. or you know, stuff like that. And it's almost like this would. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, we didn't talk about the song, but that, that would have been a good. This this would have been a good pick for that for sure. It's a, it's like somebody out of their realm. I think this is outside of Billy Joel's realm. It's not as normal. 
you know, we did spotlight Billy Joel on here before and they had an album and all that. And it's, yeah, this is definitely not what I heard when I saw him live. So I just, I just remember back when this first came out, I was with my friend and my, my mom was driving us somewhere and this was on the radio. And she kept going, da 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 And we were just like dying laughing in the back seat. Like, it was, oh my God. I was like, please turn this off. I'm going to scream. Please yeah, stop it. ruin it for you. <laughs> so it, it, <laughs> that just makes it even extra, extra. So his mom sings it. Yeah. Yeah. Mom rock. Oh, oh God. Sucker <laughs> <Soccer laughs> mom rock. <laughs> totally, totally, totally mom rock. Totally. Oh, the minivan rocking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you said it right there literally brought me to like the old Batman theme. Like, oh, right. <laughs> so, like, I mean, definitely fucked yeah. it up. So yeah, that's that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the older Batman is funny, but it's not the fucking Dark Knight. So I I I, I am a lover of all things Batman. I have a very fond fondness for that show, but. You know, I also love the new stuff too. It's like you yeah. can you can put Batman in any situation and make him relevant. But I grew up on that stuff, so that's why I love it. If I saw it for the first time, I'd be like, "What the hell is this? What are they doing to my favorite hero?" <laughs> that's what they said about Billy Joel too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say it ain't so, Billy. Say it ain't so. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, Damon, hit us with your shot, man. What you got? Yeah, actually, this is a this is based on something I heard about one of his recent the band's recent shows. I picked the Wallflowers because I love that band. Uh, And Jacob Dylan, like, really is doing his dad justice by continuing music in a different uh, genre, I guess. Bob Dylan, <laughs> but um, one headlight. Is the song, and um, so apparently, like when he's playing recently in Austin, like he, uh, someone was saying, like people kept people are shouting out one headlight, one headlight, because it's like. It was a top. It was top in the charts. I mean, this is like probably one of the biggest uh, hits. I think. I think it's on "Bringing Down the Horse," um, and that's probably my favorite album, of course, from the Wallflowers. This was uh, 1997. Of course, I'm a '90s rock fan <laughs> or pop rock, I guess, if you will. This is the pop rock that I could that I could take. Uh, some of it I can't stand, but. Uh, yeah, this is uh, definitely one of my favorites. But yeah, people are shouting, "Bring uh, one headlight, one headlight!" And he just said, "No, I'm not." He stopped. They stopped playing. He like, he's like, "I'm not going to play that song." <laughs> and so, and then they just continued doing whatever they're doing. But I think it's one of the situations where it's not like they don't like the song. Um, like we were talking about with Radiohead, I think it's just played over and over again. Uh, it's like Billboard chart topper 100, and you know, it's, it, I think it was like second best song or whatever for a while. So it was like it, it was up there. 
uh, MTV, you know, these there, this is the MTV days when I actually gave a shit about MTV. Um, uh, I don't know what's on it now. I don't know if there's music on there now, but, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so annoying though. It's like, I mean, it's like the wall, that's their biggest hit. I, I mean, if you, if you told me yeah. to, to name like five wallflowers, I don't know if I could do it, but I mean, I can name that one. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's like they're grumpy because they don't like being known really for one song, but it's like, that is what you're known for. So you might as well play it. That's what people were here. But you know, it's the, the artiste. It's the difficult yeah. artist rap, which is, can be, cause, cause I had something similar. Cause I, I saw placebo recently and, uh, I don't know if any of y'all are into them or not, but another '90s band did a lot of cool alternative stuff, and and the, their biggest album they didn't play one song from it. They're like, we're not gonna touch this song. We're we moved on from this album, and everybody else is like, we haven't. And it's like, it's what we're here to see you guys live. The hear songs from that, and I mean, luckily the other songs they played I liked, so it was cool. That I I kind of knew how to look at the set list, but if I didn't know the set list and I just showed up, I would have been pissed because it's like. You know, you want to hear those songs when you see a band. It's like, I get why they don't want to play it, but I also feel like it's like, just, you know, get over yourself and play the damn song. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that, all the all the hits you're probably thinking of are on uh, Bringing Down the Horse, I'm sure. That's like a great album. Yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of other songs by then. I, I, I know when they were popular, I heard other songs, but the one, the only one I can remember is that damn one headlight song. It's like, that's the one that, <laughs> that that's the one that sticks in my head. I think, uh, six, six Avenue heartache, six Avenue heartache. That's like a big hit. Um, sleepwalker. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> Pleaders. Oh, they, they got some hits, but the, the difference, the difference is huge. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's really that, <laughs> that one song. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, and that's, that's why they hate it. That's why they fucking hate that song. But yeah. they don't hate it. They just don't want to, like you said, they don't want to play what everybody knows because they they want to reinvent themselves. And I think recently they're trying to do that. Like, yeah, but- um, that's why they're on tour now, like everybody else, right? See, see, see. I I think a better way to handle that instead of like doing that is like what Queens of the Stone Age does, which is. You see them live, and like this, that their second or third song is is no one knows. It's like okay, here's a big hit. If you don't want to see the rest of the stuff, you can go home. But we're done, and we're moving on. So they're yeah. still playing or Faith No More, who will play Epic early in the set. They don't play it for the encore. They just like push it in there, kick it out. They're like, yeah, it's part of what we do, but it's not all that we do. And uh, and I think it's pretty gutsy just to throw out like one of your biggest hits right off the bat and just keep going. But that's that's why those bands are so cool. It's like they don't they don't. They don't have a big bug up their ass about that kind of stuff. Right. That makes sense. So, like yeah. Weezer. Weezer. Uh, you know, those who know a Weezer, they know Buddy Holly. Right. But if they don't want to play Buddy Holly all the way through, they'll throw it in a medley towards the end of, of their set. So it's like you still get to hear it. You may not hear it in its full you know, entirety, but you still get to hear it. And they still recognize it as a song. So it's like, Anybody that is an artist, especially if you're getting paid to go up on stage and do something, I understand you got new songs, you got new material, you got 
you know, either newer songs than what you got made a hit for, but that hit is literally what got you to the point of doing these songs in the first place. So I wouldn't mind playing it, even though it may, I may be sick to death of it. I'm going to play it for the fans because they're the ones who actually love it. They're the ones who about the CD. They're the ones about the album. They're the ones who, who literally did everything that they needed to do in order to, to, to get us to the stage to where we could still perform it. Right. Right. And it was just like Rolling Stones and Aerosmith. You know, they're, they're old as fucking Methuselah, but <laughs> tell me that they're not going to go back and play some of their biggest hits. Like I, I want you to I dare yeah. see what happens with that. Methuselah. Huh? Oh, what is that? <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, I'll just jump in real quick. So, yeah, I've heard the song before, but yeah, it, ditto. Hey, how about that? I'll throw a ditto in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, man, it no, expected. That was expected, Tosh. Yeah, uh, it was expected. Hey, all right, all right. So, but, okay. So, um, was there anything else, or we ready to? To move on. No, uh, I think we're good to move on. So, uh, Taj, go ahead and drop that needle on side B. So, um, this is the part of the album, or album. <laughs> this is part of the podcast where we cover an album, and one of our fabulous hosts gave us homework. Um, I think that was Dietrich, right? Didn't you give us some some homework? No. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. Well, I guess no homework. Uh, just extra credit. Remember, your project is due next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. And I hate I hate school. So <laughs> no homework for me either. No, just time. Just playing, y'all. Stay in school. Go through school, not to school. Um, YouTube can stop forest fires. No, um, let me get back to it. So. I did have an album for you, and the album does have a, a particular crutch story and and uh, actually um, kind of a crazy situation that happened because of it, because it was a multitude of things that came and, and literally got involved with the tour. The tour was the whole basis for the album. This was a marketing ploy by two individuals that were on top of their game, both of them in their respective fields, and they literally came together to make a duo album and sell millions upon billions of dollars based off of the tour and the tour was supposed to go on for two two years straight now all of the crap that happened in between the tour is literally what happened um based off of that album and you know these two artists never worked together again they never saw them together again they they literally want nothing to do with each other one is literally sitting on top of the world the other one uh not so much so we'll get into that so who I'm talking about is around uh, March of 2002, there was an album that was dropped called uh, Best of Both Worlds. Uh, it was by uh, then on top of the world artist Jay-Z and then on top of the world artist R. Kelly. Jay-Z was on top of the hip hop gang. Um, R. Kelly was on top of the R&B world. He was the king of R&B, you know, just past Michael Jackson. Um, so the way in which this came out is they actually sat down together came up with the idea of doing a tour based off of the album. And the tour was literally going to go all over the world. Um, this is going to be one of the biggest tours that was ever set forth in order to go forward. And everything was, was set on, on to go out. And it got released, uh, through Rockefeller, uh, Island, Def Jam Music Group, uh, along with Rockland Records and Jive Records, because they all had a hand in it based on both artists. So, um, the production of the album was pretty much handled by R. Kelly. Uh, 
and uh, Polk and Tone, which were two producers that you worked with. And uh, literally, you know, they only had a couple of features on there. You know, they would do Little Kim and Benny Siegel, uh, respectively. So here's how the album was supposed to go. They were going to roll out the album, and then right off the bat, they were going to start touring. And the ticket sales were going to go through the roof, and everything was going to go great, right? Well, <sighs> in the midst of that situation, um, there was a, a thing called a trial. Um, this was one of R. Kelly's biggest trials. Oh, he had uh, 21 individuals that filed sexual abuse suits against him. Uh, this particular trial in general, the uh, prosecutor focused on one particular uh, individual uh, who was a minor at the time. And then a sex video came out of R. Kelly, you know, peeing on this woman and doing all sorts of kind of crazy things to her. So during the time where they were actually having sexual intercourse, he was recording without her consent or without her knowing about it. And she was a minor at the time is what she said. So that first part is what, you know, kind of put a, a little bit of a hindrance on the promotion of the album. Now, they still promoted the album. They still went through and uh, did a couple of tour dates, a couple of shows. Um, everything is, is pretty much done. He was sued by his intern during the time. Um, yeah, 21 cases that came up against him. Um, he posted a $750,000 bond. In order to get out of jail, he goes through the case. And then because um, the prosecution was holding out some of the evidence, they had to dismiss the case because, you know, they just didn't have enough solid circumstantial evidence in order to put it against them. So, you know, the tour is over or tour is still on, but they're still trying to do their thing as far as their actual um, promotions. Right. Well, between 2002 and 2004, there were some more arrests that happened in between Mr. Kells. And then furthermore, it came down to a point where our Jay-Z's entourage and R. Kelly's entourage got into it and R. Kelly got pepper sprayed. Um, so then by this time, it's early 2004, they decide to, R. Kelly cancels, oh no, Jay-Z cancels the rest of the tour. Um, literally says, you know, we're not going to perform ever again. We, we're just going to shut everything down. Uh, R. Kelly gives him with a lawsuit, uh, saying, you know, this is detrimental, uh, defamation of character. Um, you know, you're, you're going on without me. Um, you're, you're, you know, what I'm saying basically cutting my money stream, uh, with they, without any given notice or cause. You know, this is ludicrous. You need to go ahead and keep this going. Well, unbeknownst to all day, everybody else. R. Kelly was using these concert fees in order to pay for his lawyer fees. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons why he wanted to keep everything going. Um, you know, when Jay-Z cut that split off and said, you know, we're not going to be performing this anymore. He literally said that this was, um, you know, one of the biggest moments that got squandered by, you know, ego and things of that nature. But in actuality, um, it was, it was dead on before that because the album itself got mediocre. Mediocre, uh reviews. Um, it was not the best album in the world to listen to. But again, these were never meant to be studio style albums or studio style songs that you would listen to. These were meant to be crowd performed songs mm. um, that you would do into a live audience and then everybody would come out and, and jump up and down for it. So uh, with that being said, uh, looking back at the album, I, I, it was kind of bittersweet for me because I remember when this came out. I remember everything that, that was posted about it. Yeah, I was talking at the time, you know, I wasn't doing anything crazy, but I thought this was going to be the biggest, biggest thing ever. Um, and then 
you know, lo and behold, you know, everything just kind of fell through from there. So knowing the fact that it did not blow off the way that it should have, um, it, it was kind of like one of those, uh, I can't really put my hand on it. It was one of those feelings like, damn, y'all really let everybody down in the community. They wanted to see y'all explode and go together. So if I had to pick a song off of this one, uh, this particular album, by any means, I'm not promoting the album based off of it being one of my favorites. I'm putting, putting the album out here based off of this is a cautionary tale of what not to do if you don't have your things in order. And if you're getting with somebody that really is not have their head screwed on tight, this is a situation that you can come up with, especially if you're at both at the top of your games. Um, my particular choice track that I chose from this particular album was um, Shake Your Body. Because I remember that with Little Kim. I thought that was a, one of those little club bangers that came out. And it didn't have a whole lot of production behind it, but didn't need to because you had Little Kim, you had Jay-Z, you had R. Kelly. Like, you couldn't go wrong with that in that particular atmosphere, especially uh, me going around doing DJ sets at this point. Um, you know, I'm moving on from necessarily just being just a local rapper. I'm actually trying to get into production at this time, too. So I knew behind the scenes how that album was going to play out. Um, as far as them doing the promotions and doing the tour dates and all that, I was I was literally trying to scrap together my funds because I had just started a new job at that time. And I was going to use my, my funds to actually pay for the trip in order to go with two other people to go see them perform this live concert. It just so happens. You know, once the sex trial came out, I was like, yeah, I really can't be a part of that. And then done. You know, everything else kind of comes into the fold. So these two hours were definitely going at each other. So what do y'all think about Best of Both Worlds or Best of What Could Have Been is what we know the album <laughs> we have now. Um, <laughs> what are y'all thoughts about this particular album? And what are y'all choice tracks on? Well, I had never heard this album before. I didn't know this album even existed. And it was hard to find. I had to kind of pick around because it's not on. There's only a couple songs on Spotify. And and there's some on YouTube. So I kind of do some patchwork stuff. I mean, it's, it's okay. Um, I'm not a huge fan of either artist. I'm just not. Right. Just, just, just not really my thing. I, I, I did though have to say it did strike me funny that the one song I found on Spotify was "Guilty Until Proven Innocent," and just given who's who's singing on this album, I just, I don't know. I found that personally, it kind of made me bust out laughing when I saw that. Yeah. I was like, wow. I was like, he was. They were, you know, he was trying to. I don't know. I don't know if that was, uh, if that was. Uh, done on purpose or not but um yeah it definitely seems like just just a a cash cow thing just just trying to like this is an excuse to finance a tour it's not really either artist at their at their best and um but yeah i didn't even know it existed so i was i i was i was like what is this i i just i had no no clue but yeah the guilty till proving it's the thing did make me laugh a little bit because like wow this is this is, you know, if we do yeah, now, because they struck most of his music off on the platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did see there is some some of his stuff still on Spotify, but that album, I only found two songs off of it. Um, but but I did think Guilty to Prove It Innocent it was was pretty catchy. I mean, 
uh, in addition to being funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, R. Kelly Lee. <laughs> Who else? So, uh, so I I kind of want to circle back and ask because I oh, anyways, uh, <laughs> I um, okay, yeah, no, no, and so I. I found the album just so you guys know, because like um, it's going to be on um, Pandora for the homework, but not on Spotify. Like you said, uh, Spotify scrubbed it, um, but uh, the whole album is on um, uh, Pandora. Um, it was an interesting album. I mean, considering you know some of the other you know <laughs> artists we've listened to before, uh, you know some of the ones where you think like they, they kind of. I'm trying to read the Ricky. Whoever that one, do you remember, Damon? That the one that was kind of a little shady. The Ricky. Oh, I think it. Yeah. This is an album or something. Yeah, an album. I know we did Slick Rick, but then there was the other one that was the the other guy that was a little like cringe, and I was like, but yeah, Uh, I was kind of surprised. Like this, if if you lived in a bubble and you didn't know anything about R. Kelly, like the album. Like, uh, was you know okay? It was good, right? But when you have the rose tinted glasses, <laughs> you're kind of analyzing the songs, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm okay with this song, <laughs> you know? It, it's you know, but uh, like if it was anyone else, you'd be like, oh, it's a it's a good song, right? It, it was kind of like the the rose tinted glasses on it, like kind of made it interesting. So, but, but yeah, so that, that was, that was my take on that. So, yeah. um, but so I did have a question for you, Dietrich though. Um, so because there were so many other people like, on, well, not a bunch, but like, especially with like low key and like, how much did this derail their careers? Like, I'm sure this is like their starting point, right? This is their 15 minutes of fame to try and get on the scene. And then like, did this like, throw anybody completely off the track like they didn't they didn't become known as they could have been if this had popped off no okay um the the, the couple of artists that were actually on here were already in their own field um they okay. already had their own uh names going for themselves little kim from bad boy benny siegel from being on the rockefeller records along with jay-z um okay they, they were already there okay pretty much, uh, in, the, in their own lanes so when this fell through, it wasn't like it was a big hurter on their behalf because they didn't have any singles with them on there that, that would have hurt, you know, that type of situation. Okay. Um, as far as the artists themselves, though, this hurt Jay-Z tremendously because this was one of his first deals that he actually upfronted a lot of his own money. Oh. So for that to follow through and for the fights and everything going on behind the scenes from the tour dates. Uh, this just pretty much made him try to stop. And then what's funny is they actually had another album that they came out with after R. Kelly beat that case. They came out with another album in 2004 called Unfinished Business, where they tried to pick back up on that momentum. But that by that time, it was already dead. No, like they couldn't they couldn't get past their own noses. And uh, they really did not like each other towards the end. Oh, gotcha. OK, so uh, the. The one uh, song I'll probably pick because I think it best describes like the whole scenario is like it, it ain't personal. <laughs> this is business, it ain't personal. Same dream, same team, same schemes. Mm-hmm. Weaving soul to the same damn 
That was like, because it's all about how it's business. And so I can totally picture that. Like, you know, they did this and then like he gets out of the court case and like Jay-Z's like, yo, ain't personal. It's business. Like, I'm moving on. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, that that was the the, the song I I was going to pick. Like in in perfect world status, if (laughs) R. Kelly was not the sexual deviant that we know him to be and he did not have these cases going on against him. There, there's no way in the world you could have told me or couldn't tell me that this, they would have been performing some of this in Super Bowl. Right. They had some kind of Grammy coming from this situation or just by the music industry standard alone, they would have had something coming their way that they would have gotten crazy accolades for these particular songs, which could have branched off into something totally different. It could have been marketing behind it. It could have been branding behind it. It could have been a whole smorgasbord of ideas that were coming behind this situation only to have it falter because uh, you know just things just did not go right from from the start right no for sure the music the music on this album the best of both worlds is definitely iconic uh for their style for their the genre of music um it's not the first artist that had issues uh lots of artists have gone to jail have done bad things i think we've talked about on the podcast how musicians can can definitely um seem different than they really are like a like a actor you know like anybody that's famous you you look up to them for what they do they do what they do well that's how they're famous but um yeah so for this i mean for this album i definitely uh i wasn't like hating it i wasn't really liking it i just was really neutral with it the last two songs i think were kind of catchy the p triple s at asterisk y <laughs> that's kind of just got like it's a funny sort of song but like it kind of it, it I, I think it, it it exemplifies like the the attitude the uh you know the nature of like the rappers that are in the, this album they're tr- what they're trying to represent I think they're they're trying to be very commercial, like you said, Dietrich. They could have gone a lot of places with this with the songs on this. Like, and yeah, you know, Michael, you've never even heard of this, but you might have heard of other albums like this. But this one just kind of flew under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. And maybe 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 not for me. It definitely did because it's it's not my first like pick of a style anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, the last two. Like, <laughs> Honey is actually my favorite song on the album. I think Honey's really done, done really well. I mean, you have, you can hear his studio, uh, the studio work, and this is actually, the production is like really, it's really done well. I mean, there's money that goes into this. For these artists, they already have a lot of money. This is a drop in the hat. It's not a big deal. It was for fun. And they and then they all went gangster on each other. And it was like a beat it video. I mean that's what it sounds like happened. Yeah. From what you're saying, like the you know, like each each side kinda like, you know, they're feuding. I mean that's crazy. Um Yeah, I guess that happens with music. But this this to see the you know a big a big album gets made 
and then it gets broken down right away. And then you've got the artist, you know, like Art Kelly's got so many issues. And I, there's a lot of people that I just, you know, like I think I mentioned him before on this podcast. We talked about him a little bit. I think he's done like SNL episodes and stuff. Like his music was on that. And, uh-huh. But like when you're doing some shady shit, I don't care what your music is. <laughs> I usually try to boycott it as much as I can. Um, or I just, you know, I'm not thrilled about it, you know. But it's it's a big letdown when it's a good it's a good artist, something I really like, and then you find out they they suck. Well, <laughs> they suck as a person, you know. There's all there's always that thing is like can you separate the art from the artist? And my answer to that is it depends on how serious the accusations are. If it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's tricky. It's like, but it's it's you know it's. It, I can't. I'm not gonna start hating a song because the person who made it is a asshole. It's like if I still like the song, I'm still gonna like the song. It's like I think Marilyn Manson has pretty much been revealed to be just about as bad or worse than R. Kelly. But it's like I can't deny for the beautiful people playing. I'm gonna want to rock out to it. You know, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's like it's like you don't want to condone it and you don't want to. To your supportive, but it's like I can't just say, "Well, I don't like these songs anymore." It's like I just, it's like I can't say, "I I don't think Louis C.K. is funny anymore because he did some something stupid." I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm still torn on that. I haven't quite come to to. Yeah. I'm I'm just the kind of person who's like, well, I can still enjoy it, but I don't have to give money right anymore. Well, plus it it gets harder when you try and slice the pie when like like phil specter like you know the wall of sound like you have the beach the beach boys and you know you have everybody else that you know made that wall of sound but you're like he wasn't a great producer right (laughs) Uh, but like he still had like he you know he defined a a genre of music in the 50s and you're like yeah so it's harder when when you try and slice that pie down like you know, the mixing board artists on the background, like they, nobody knows. You're like, or, you know, it, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. I yeah. I mean, Phil Spector is like, you know, the, the architect of this whole style of music, but he's a total psychopath too. It's like, <laughs> but you can't deny that the guy like made some of the amazing albums and like, you know, the Beatles, the Ramones, it's like, um, you know, Supremes. It's like, you can't, deny the talent but he just was seriously messed there's a really good documentary about him on uh, showtime that just it's fascinating it's crazy um but uh yeah it's just one of those tricky things it's like i i I tend to be one who can separate the art from the artist um in most cases i think the hardest one for me is bill cosby because he tried to be america's dad and he was such a monster that I, I i can't like watch the cosby should be like oh and this funny it's so just no it's like it's 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 like watching a horror movie you know it's like <laughs> you realize what this guy's like behind the seat i can't i can't do it so it just depends on i guess how severe the 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 uh accusations are and, and you know what they were found guilty of yeah and r kelly you know sealed his own fate yeah every artist has done drugs but i mean who gives a shit about that but then you have like yeah, you mentioned Phil Spector, and then like I have a lot of respect for Nile Rogers. That's another 
producer that's he's actually really just a great producer so you don't have to be like a a weird ass motherfucker or like a piece of shit to to do good stuff but i think if you open up the curtain everybody's probably like a piece of shit (laughs) there's like so many heroes out there that will just be shot down and downgraded if you really reveal them what's that teacher what would you say d Say never meet your idols. There's a good reason for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's one of those like uh I wanna know what's going on, but do I really? <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I don't you know, a lot of these articles that you see every day trying to like take someone down are like total clickbait, trying to like make things more severe or more um exaggerated than that then then they can be in some cases but in, in r kelly's case it's it's pretty cut and dry i mean the guy he was right there yeah the, <laughs> the guy the guy was a serial predator he's had multiple accusers and now he's finally paying the price for what he did so yes. i have no sympathy for him of r&b so it's like oh damn and then you think of how many other artists rock uh r&b in country how many other artists slept with underage girls and and like that was their preference type shit like if we expose everybody for it then there really would be no reason to listen to music period right well there was there was a whole article i was reading the other day talking about um groupies in like of the 70s and and a lot of them were teenagers and they said that they were adults and they were like say they have no regrets and it's like saying it's a different time all this kind of thing and it's like it's it's just a weird thing to think about because it was a whole world away the 1970s versus versus today where but you know um yeah but so yeah well today we got video so that's right right. yeah Yeah. video says a whole lot especially when people put stuff on social media whereas before it was just hearsay Mm -hmm. so a lot of things didn't make the paper like they were supposed to unless it was like unequivocal evidence going against the situation. But, you know, nowadays, you know, somebody can you know, show a picture of you in bed, sleep on their Instagram live. And it's like, okay, but, you know, we're looking at their account. Yeah, they're 16. What the hell are you doing there? You're 23. You're like, what, what, what the hell is really going on? So, yeah. <sighs> different but, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Cause especially like Jerry Lee Lewis, like, you know, I mean, but he married, I mean, he married his cousin and she was 16 and it cost him the crown of rock and roll. But like, it, it, if you look at the flip side, it's weird because like he, they stayed married like 30 years or so, like before they got divorced. divorced. Wait, it, was, it wasn't Elvis's wife, wasn't Priscilla Presley like 14 or 15 when they got married or something crazy like that. So it's, and Chuck, Chuck Berry had, oh man, Chuck Berry had some crazy, crazy. <laughs> Chuck, there's some crazy. If you, I don't, yeah. even, I don't, I don't even want to get into it. I don't want to know that one. <laughs> if, if, if you, if you, if you Google Chuck Berry, I mean that dude was, oh my god, yeah, Wait, yeah, out of control. So, but Nobody. he's an he's an icon too. So there you go. <laughs> so okay, world class pervert. <laughs> so um. All right. Uh, so, do we have some homework for next week? Yeah, I think uh, I think that Michael might have some homework for us. 
Oh. Yeah, I was wanting to. I thought it'd be cool since things are starting to. Well, it's kind of warmer this week, but last week we had some nice cool weather. I was trying to think of songs and albums, or, or yeah, songs that just remind me of fall weather, just because I've been just just craving colder weather. And I think there's certain songs that um, that really kind of fit that. So I've got a song in mind for that, and then for an album. It's going a totally different direction. Uh, yeah, there's a really great new metal album called State of Emergency by Prong that uh, I think you guys should take a listen and see what y'all think about it. And then the song I want to delve into is a Between Something and Nothing by The Ocean Blue, an 80s new wave post-punk group. Oh, cool. Okay. Huh? All right. Sounds good. Looking so, forward to that. We'll change okay. up with some metal. And, and that yeah. metal. Okay. By Prong. Okay. It okay, not Pong, not the arcade machine. Prong, no, the no. G. Okay. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know, I I got check my spelling. I'm a terrible speller. So, so that's yeah. state of emergency by Prong. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. All right. So okay. So we ready to wrap this up then? Yep. Let's wrap it up, Tyler. Go ahead and hit you with his with your spell. Sure thing. Uh, this has been Trace Tracks. You can find us on our website at tracetracks.com or email us at tracetracks at gmail.com. Both of those end with a Z. We have matching playlists on both Spotify and Pandora. And of course, we ask that you please subscribe and listen to all past and future episodes. Let's go and sign out. I've been Taj. I'm Damon. I'm Michael. And I'm not R. Kelly. Uh, I'm and, uh, <laughs> I didn't think you were. Thank God. <laughs> but uh, y'all keep spinning those choice tracks. <laughs> <laughs>